KRCL, Salt Lake City. Welcome to Radioactive, a show for grassroots activists, community builders, punk rock farmers, and artists and musicians, also known as DIY creatives. I'm Laura Jones. Got a big show for you tonight. Stick around. You're going to hear from our new executive director, Gavin Dahl, who is on the job working remotely and making his way to Utah in time for 909 Day and has a lot to say about Summer of Soul. So stick around for that. Also on the show, the Utah Healing Success Summit. And talk more about recovery as we have been talking all week long. You hear from Dave DeRocher and some new folks to the show. Al Richards of the Other Side of Addiction podcast and Mallory Roosh of Inspired to Recover. They've got a great event coming up in August. Want to talk about the issues behind it. And also, we're going to talk about art and the Pacific Islander community. The Friendly Islands Tongan Festival is coming up August 11th through the 13th. And on the 12th, a special art exhibit. And I've got the folks behind it to come in and talk about it. Got a whole panel coming up, so stick around. But let's get started with rallies and resources. Coming up on Saturday, the ADA 32nd anniversary celebration with the Disabled Rights Action Committee down at the Salt Lake City Public Library, 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. Full lineup of talented disabled speakers, performers, musicians, and entertainers. It's free to everybody. And there'll be food trucks, all sorts of things going on. And they do need help, volunteers, to set things up. They could use your help on Friday to set up and on Saturday during the event and then for takedown. Check the rallies and resources listings and you'll find a link and uh, offer your time, offer your talents, help out in the community. Something else happening tomorrow is a community care block party. And to find out more, I wanted to pass the microphone and get to the details. So my name is Candida Durantaveras. Uh, my pronouns are she and ella. And I'm the director of community engagement for Planned Parenthood. The Utah Reproductive Roundtable Coalition, which is comprised of multiple organizations, um, including ourselves, Planned Parenthood, and ACLU Utah, the YWCA Utah, Utah Abortion Fund, Fam- Family Planning Elevated, and Better Utah. Um, we've been meeting somewhat regularly, and after the uh, leak back in May, we decided that one thing that we could do for folks when the decision actually came out is host some sort of collective care night. And that's where the idea of like a block party came up. We really wanted to just have an opportunity for folks to gather, to um, collectively just enjoy some music, dancing, some food, and use it as a way to just like, as a form of resistance. So that's where the idea of the community care block party came out from. So it's happening tomorrow um, from 6.30 to 9.30 p.m. at Jordan Park. We are going to be in the southeast um, end of the park which is a little bit more ADA accessible given that there's a pavilion nearby. Um, We will have a stage where we'll have a dance party and then halfway through, we're gonna have a couple of local performers do their thing and then end the night with another dance party where we can just collectively just have fun because a part of this um, care of the work that we're doing as we're fighting for reproductive justice and um, abortion justice is also just taking care of each other, taking care of the community, um, moving away from that individualistic approach to care Mm. um, and focusing on togetherness and focusing on looking past ourselves and making a long-term commitment to take care of our community. That's fantastic. We'll put a link in the show notes, but you're also collecting supplies for abortion care kits. It's a donation drive. So what can folks bring? And these must be new unopened items, right? Yes. So part of community care is supporting folks who currently are accessing abortion care, whether they're having their procedures or their appointments here in Utah or having to travel out of state. We want to make sure that the folks in our community know that we got their back that we are gonna take care of each other and that we are going to help each other in whatever ways that we can. So we've compiled a list of items that we are asking folks to bring with them if they have the capacity to do so. Um, And those items are fuzzy socks, disposable pads, disposable heating packs, journals and pens, coloring books, coloring pencils, masks, because we're still living in the time of, it's COVID is still a thing. So masks are still very much needed. 
Um, we're also asking for phone chargers and charging packs. And if you um, would like to give monetary donations, um, you can bring that either in cash or gift cards, and those funds would be uh, distributed, distributed to people who call the Utah Abortion Fund for support. The list might seem small, but we wanted to make it accessible for folks to bring things if they wanted to bring things. And we are also just like, after the block party, expect to see another invitation to join us as we assemble these kits because it, it's going to take the community to actually make this happen. So uh, this is just step one, really. Well, when you have that date and those details, please come back and share with us on Radioactive, Candy, okay? Thank you. So what's the website where folks can learn more and get all the details? Good question. So if you go to our website or our Instagram, so if you go to PPAC Utah or Planned Parenthood Utah, you'll be able to find the information on there. Um, the link is a little bit more confusing to give out. I'll just put it in the <laughs> show notes. Definitely put it in the show notes. <laughs> but if you go to our either any of our social media on Facebook or Instagram under Planned Parent Action Council of Utah or Planned Parent Association of Utah, you'll see the information about the block party. Um, I know it's also on the ACLU's site and on Better Utah's site. But we hope you join us. It's going to be a lot of fun. There will be some food trucks there joining us. We'll be giving out these really cool cups that say bounds off our beehive there'll be more information if you're just looking for information of how to like talk about abortion in your community um a big effort that we've been doing this summer is going door to door and canvassing in our communities to talk about abortion access and the materials that we've been giving out at the door-to-door canvas we will have it at the block party so folks can also grab that if they just want more information about what's happening and how to talk about it with their community and their family and friends Thank you, Candida Duran Taveras, Community Engagement Director with Planned Parenthood Association of Utah. Check tonight's show notes and rallies and resources for more details about the Community Care Block Party happening tomorrow. All right, now joining me, we have a cavalcade of stars, is how I think I'd like to put it, to talk about this new art exhibit, Asese, Resting Collectively, Rising Collectively, an art installation exhibit by Oceania Pacifica Communities in Utah. It's going to take place at the Friendly Islands Tongan Festival on the Friday of the festival over at Jordan Park. And joining me now to talk about it, we have the um, the, the person behind it. And I wanted to introduce them to you. We have Afa Akona Niometolu. I did my best. <laughs> um, but I am so happy to have you here. You reached out and said... Um, we got something going on that the community needs to know about because within the Pacific Island community, we got something really uh, valuable and treasured. So what started this? But first, start with your origin story. Afa. Mahalo. Si Oto Afa. My name is um, Afa. Um, and I just wanted to say uh, thank you in uh, the Hawaiian language. Thank you, Laura, and uh, thank you, KRCL, for having us. And because I am Indigenous, I just want to recognize, too, the land that we're on, the Eastern Shoshone, Goshute, and Ute. And uh, I am so excited. Nisambula, Talofalava, Malolele, and please excuse me for the other language, and Aloha. Um, uh, this came about um, in during COVID, Laura. And thank you so much for all your listening to you during COVID because you really help heal our community. Thank so you. thank you so much uh, for your powerful work. And I am here with uh, Sinia Maile and um, with Siolo uh, Tuala. And hopefully Jakey Siolo is going to join us in just a minute. He's been on the show with the Island Wave Takeovers that we've done with Kamile Trip Harris. Um, all these folks tied to this art project. But really, I, you know, how did you get Harvard's attention? Tell us <laughs> how that came about. Yeah, so we, uh, there is uh, a great young leader named Moana uh, Balele Ho-Ching, and she attended Harvard, and she started this with the Harvard Peabody uh, Museum. So the, um, I learned when we went to Harvard, we just got back from Harvard in June, that it's pronounced Peabody, not Peabody. Um, but uh, uh, they they hold like about a million uh, pieces of our ancestral belongings, Laura. Mm. And so uh, they had a call out for um, uh, fellowship, like how we would be able to use 
our ancestral belongings and with art here. And he's the, we have the largest uh, population of Pacific Islanders, of Oceania uh, folks outside of our homelands. Here in Utah. Here in Utah. Mm-hmm. And we're so proud of that. And so I thought about, it was during COVID uh, 2020, uh, 2021, 2020, and how we have headrests. Uh, so it's called the uh, Kali Loa in Tonga, the um, Vai Ali in Samoa. And so, Laura, it comes all the way from uh, Rapa Nui, which is Easter Island, all the way to West Papua. I think you say Easter Island people yeah. conjure a certain image when yeah. you say headrest. So we're talking about figures, mm-hmm. sculptures, ancient. Yeah, so I think maybe people think about like the ma uh, there, but... Um, um, they were dated, the headrests at Harvard University, um, they were dated like from the 1600s to the 1800s. So our ancestors, you know, treasured uh, rest. And so the way I look at it, Laura, is that they are stories for uh, for Nia and Solo, Siolo and Jakey and myself and our communities to, to not just only grind, but to rest okay. and how you know, what will we put to rest? And that's the resting and rising collectively. You're a filmmaker, a photographer, and a writer. So these objects, I'm guessing, spoke to you powerfully about getting them back to the community? Yes. Uh, we, um, and I think it's, there is a journey, you know, um, I, I, they, they do not allow us to bring any of the, our, belong, um, our ancestral belongings back, but we have high-res, um, high resolution still images of them and we are working with so many community members to build um some and to to use some that some kava clubs here have some kava clubs so harvard has these headrests yes do they have any intention of repatriating them uh i i'm not sure about that at the moment mm-hmm. uh one of uh the folks that we went with susan alik and Tekla, the picture that you have there of uh, the beautiful uh, Tekla Kasombi Taylor, she is from Papua New Guinea. So uh, Susan did ask them while we were there, and we were there with so many pieces. And they, uh, Ingrid Algren was kind of surprised that she would ask that. She was kind of taken back. So, you know, like, you have to be politically correct. And, like, no, you did. No, no, like, no, no more, right? Not in know? 2020. <laughs> <laughs> well, because so, I consider, I've been seeing a lot of articles about repatriation of yes. Native American objects uh-huh. out of institutional and university collections. I don't see what this would be any different. But so that's, maybe that's another show mm. altogether. <laughs> no, it's, I, I mean, I think it's, I think, um, it was very emotional for us yeah. because, uh, you know, they're, they were in cold spaces and we're warm, yeah. heartful, like loving, like we're all about touch and sen- we're sensuality, we're sexual people, you know. <laughs> and so they were in dark spaces and it was very hard for us because it's like uh, that's for Nia, like uh, many uh, Pacific Islanders here have never, they were not born in the homelands and they were not, um, they have not visited, you know, it's like expensive to go there. So we want them to return, you know, yeah. um, because uh, our children and grandchildren, they, they need it, yeah. you know. So let's meet some other folks that you yes. brought in. Yes. I, were they at Harvard with you too? Uh, in spirit. In spirit, okay. <laughs> well, they can at least speak to why it's important and why this exhibit is so going to be so powerful on the 12th. Uh, Sania Maile from Diversity, Inclusion, Values, Action, DIVA, a nonprofit mm-hmm. in our community. Tell us a bit about yourself first. Hi, yeah. So my name is Sunia Myla. Uh, I just go by Nia. Um, w- with Diva, we work with providing brave and safe spaces for our BIPOC community. Um, just talking about g- navigating our racial identity here in Utah, a predominantly white community. Um, I just love the project just because I think coming here to America, there's a lot of focus on grinding and um, just working um and with the dusted on yeah working with the like gaps in between like our white counterparts um i do think it is important for us to take some rest um gather our own thoughts on like everything and so yeah you also work with the utah juvenile defender attorneys advocating for youth in our community that just need a little more support and that's uh i'm guessing uh, some inspiration for what starting diva yeah um, so 
It's kind of, so I went to school for political science um, to become a lawyer and just working there, um, it does hit home a little bit just because I do have a dad who went through the system. Um, and being there kind of just opened our, my eyes to what work needs to be done for these kids. And so, yeah. What do you think this exhibit that is going to debut on the 12th will mean in the community? You've seen a lot of kids. You talked about your dad. Do you feel like there's a disconnect from your roots? Yes. Um, I know for me, at least, um, I was born here in Utah. Um, like my only connection with the motherland is like through dance. Um, and that's really only for like life celebrations. Um, and you dance actually, right? Yeah. So, um, I dance with the group Fa Onelua. Um, they are owned by Dino Vainuku and his partner. Um, they're amazing. Traditional Tongan dance. Yeah. Um, so it's mostly girls. Um, they are working on like Tongan drumming and so... Um, highly recommend everybody check them out. But uh, yeah, that's really my only connection. Um, my like my grandma's immigrated here from Donga, both my grandma and my grandpa. And so um, I think with everybody moving to America, there's a lot of adoption of like Western attitudes. Um, so like a lot of the Tongan culture has just been pushed aside. So it'll be nice for people to um, get in touch with our Tongan roots. We also have with us uh, Siolo Toala, known to many as just Solo, I understand. This is my first <laughs> meeting Solo. So you are a Samoan community leader. You help with social justice. You stand and feed the unsheltered. You serve youth and listen and work together is <laughs> the bio that Afa sent to me. Tell us a bit more about yourself. Uh, well, I'm, I'm an immigrant, so that's, you know, and I'm from Samoa, from Ngakaivai from uh, Savai'i and so I am we came I came moved to California in 1980 so I was seven years old so and just that culture shock and you got to understand California in 1980 it was the start of the startup of gang neighborhood Whoa. gangs and so America's know, war on drugs right yes <laughs> it was trickle down economics had just kicked in you know they just we got here maybe just before Reagan had mm -hmm. I think he got shot Mm -hmm. or you know it was so it was and his trickle down policies left our neighborhoods broke and crack hit our neighborhood and so when i hit la i got right into gangs and so Eight I yeah i was mm -hmm. a hot mess you know so that was my childhood and then in 90 we i came here with a friend of mine in in the hopes of expanding our drug empire <laughs> you know at that point you know <laughs> the crips i don't know if you know you notice in the 80s when crack hit california the crips and the blood started to migrate out of the neighborhoods into like the east coast seattle salt lake i was a product of that i got here but it was different here and so the culture shock of being here from a gang it was it was tough and so like right away i think first day of school you know in 1989 if you got cornrows, no one, I mean, kids were not used to someone looking like me. So I had a hard time fitting in mm -hmm. and I was still under the influence of gang violence. And so I found my way into these uh, juvenile detentions and graduated to jail, eventually to prison, which is funny because we would listen to KRCL on Friday. And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this and, whole party know, back yeah, then, right? We, we'd South hope, we'd hope that, yeah, we'd <laughs> hope that my, you know, your name came up, you know, like, oh. You know, but and then and then um, I met my wife and that that kind of changed my life. And mm -hmm. and then my mom uh, came to see me in prison and she was missing a breast. And so that, you know, dealing with my mom's uh, cancer kind of took me for a loop. And I sat there and sat in that in that darkness in prison and had to, you know, got out. You know, trying to figure out what your purpose yeah, is. So, yeah, and then uh, mom passed away. You know, and then I just you know my married my wife, and I thought, okay, well, you know, mm -hmm. let's let's grind it out, like you know, let's let's get this, mm -hmm. let's get this capitalism. You know, <laughs> let's work hard, grind <laughs> it out, and work. just let's not talk about our this trauma that you know this yeah. no rest basically, no. just grind. Yeah. And then in 2016, my my brother got shot in West Valley mm -hmm. and died over a fight that a guy had a gun 
and it was like George Zimmerman. He told my brother to get on the ground, and my brother decided he wasn't going to get on the ground, and he got shot. And that, and that kind of took me for a loop because my brother was not that way. He watched, but he watched Big Bro do that a few times in an intersection, and so I sat with that that example to my little brother. And then something had to change. And I met up with Jakey, you know, my cousin Jakey, and he had been heavily involved in, in activism and giving back. And he, he provided me that space. Is that Jakey Ciola? Yes. And so he, <laughs> you know, he, <laughs> he provided me that, you know, and he's yeah. my cousin. Yeah. And his, you know, he, I think he came, he came out yeah. during his time. And, mm-hmm. and, and that gave me even more, you know, motivation to, and so I just, you know, basically I took my life, I took my life experiences and then I started to give back. And so I started to volunteer, you know, I became a mentor at the VOA. And, and so uh, an awesome friend's gonna, my, my young bro, Thomas is gonna graduate from high school. He's starting at, he's starting at a, a quarterback at Judge Memorial and I've been mentoring this, mm-hmm. this young wow. man since he was 14. And so we became good friends. And so that's, that's, and you know, and so that's what I'm here helping offer just kind of, help these young people and my people kind of get through and kind of you know use my life experience as a as a way to get through you know so well if uh, talk to me a bit more about resting collectively rising collectively and the folks that you brought in tonight you're trying to draw the community and their stories together and find a collective rise and rest yeah so when we looked uh, when you know we even have headrests here um, and also, like, and maybe for, describe what a headrest okay. is because I, you know, I, I'm yeah. listening, I'm going, I know what a headrest okay. is in my car, but this is something specific and, and ancient, it sounds like. Yeah, so, um, uh, because we're indigenous, uh, uh, the headrests are made from all the, um, like the, the fight, the, the plants that grow there, the trees that grow there in, in, in Oceania. And so some of them were bamboo, and also because we're navigators and sailors, so you know we would my like my dad would say like you know we would travel, we could make we would make love over there and come to Tongva. So Tongva <laughs> is like Los Angeles County, that's the the native name. But we'd come as far as up to Tongva where California is. But so um, the headrest is about like how how long is this, um, Laura? Like about this big? Oh, it's about a eight. Two feet, maybe? Two feet. Okay. And we'll so that feet. could probably be an individual headrest, and it's made out of, like, ironwood or uh, bamboo and then carved. Uh, sorry. Oh, okay. it was Jakey at the Jakey's door? At we'll the get door. him in here. Keep going. Right. <laughs> yes. And so um, and some of them were uh, very large, and um, so then you collectively sleep together. Yeah. Um, and then also... Um, just growing up, growing up, uh, my grandmother raised me. Grandmothers raised me, so I would sleep on their arms. Do you remember that solo? Yes. Like we sleep on their arms, <laughs> yeah. and then that's when they tell you because you know we don't have cribs. Mm-hmm. We're not. Yeah. You know we we're we're collective. We do everything together, uh-huh. which can be also toxic, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, I'm talking about the positive stuff right now. So you sleep together. That's where welcome, uh, Jakey. You know you learn about your culture, your your heritage, like you know things about like such as kindness and and rest um you know that they you learn like you're loved and uh you have a lot of you have a calling and you have a lot of um people that love you but that you have to uh, serve them as well so on the 12th at jordan park as part of the friendly islands tongan festival uh you'll be seeing these photos of these treasured headrests that uh, could, could be found all across Oceania and of course in Harvard's collection now. <laughs> uh, they should be returned. I'm just saying that out loud. Jakey Ciolo just made it in. Uh, pull up that Hi. microphone. I don't know if I'm, I've got tinnitus going off, but can you guys hear that ringing too? Okay, it's just me. Sorry uh, live radio folks. But Jakey welcome back. Uh, folks you. know you from the Island Wave takeovers. Snuggle up to that microphone and oh. And uh, Nua Nua Oceania is your queer LGBTQ collective in Salt Lake. Yes. And I, I know we're just rushing you right into this because we <laughs> have a few minutes left. But the, the, this exhibit 
as they say, uh, resting collectively, rising collectively. Why do you think it's going to be important to have it here in our community? And then, Afa, I want you to tell us about where it's going to go next. But, Jakey. Yeah, I was so honored to be able to go to Harvard. And when Afa asked me to, um, I have never been back to the islands. And so being in that room with all those headrests was very empowering. Um, and I think so many parts of our culture is like giving, giving, giving out mm -hmm. of love a lot of it yeah. and but we don't take the time to rest yeah. um and i think we also have different ideas of what rest looks like mm -hmm. um like for me my rest comes from being surrounded by other queer pacific islanders being surrounded by community that's where i can find rest and there was really long head rest that could sleep like five people yeah. so it was happening all the way back then and mm -hmm. those headrests don't have gender yeah. they don't have you know this one's not for the wife or for the kid it was all just like open yeah but communal yeah yes <laughs> yeah uh, Afat where is this going to go after the 12th uh to all the Salt Lake um city library uh, Salt Lake County and, and Salt Lake uh libraries and also we wanted to go to St. George where Jakey grew up and we have some prospects, that, uh, some invitations to go to California and other places on Turtle Island. And sorry, can I say one more thing, Laura? Yeah, absolutely. I just wanted to say, too, that we want to put to rest a lot of things that also happened during COVID. Like, we want to ask, like, maybe we can, uh, we can be a part of therapy or we can put, like, domestic violence to rest. Uh, we can put um, like homophobia, and we know it's. Like, so you're calling people big. in. Yeah. <laughs> so and um, so one part that I didn't mention. I'm so sorry, Laura, but there's children artwork. So it's really communal. So a lot of the artwork is like we ask kids all over in elementary schools, like, what if your parents or your guardians turned off their phone? What would that look like? And yeah. they went crazy. So, mm. but they yeah. are the answers, and we are our own answers. We don't need to look outside. You know, as you mentioned, Nia, you know, to Balangi people or Haole, like to, to white people who have a PhD, mm -hmm. our, our elders, our children, ourselves, Solo, Jakey, we're doing the work. And um, Nia, so thank you so much. Well, I'd love to have you back and dig into more of the stories of these headrests and also just offer you the mic to come in and, and step up and share with the community whatever you'd like moving forward. Sound mm -hmm. good? Thank you. All right. Afa, Nia, Jakey, and Solo, thanks so much. It was a pleasure talking to you. And we'll put in the show notes tonight uh, links to the Friendly Islands Tongan Festival and the details about the exhibit happening on the 12th. As they say, resting collectively and rising collectively. More radioactive when we come back. Support for KRCL comes from Mark Miller Subaru, a community partner of YWCA Utah and the Stand Against Racism Challenge. Mark Miller Subaru loves diversity. Learn more at ywcautah.org and markmillersubaru.com. KRCL's Music Meets Movies is proud to support the Utah Film Center's Outdoor Summer Film Series screening of Summer of Soul, Friday, July 29th at Liberty Park. Questlove's directorial Oscar-winning debut features interviews and performances by legendary artists like Stevie Wonder, Nina Simone, Sly and the Family Stone, and many more. No ticket necessary, but an RSVP is recommended. Summer of Soul, or when the revolution could not be televised. Friday, July 29th at Liberty Park. Doors at 8 p.m., movie at dusk. For more details and to RSVP, head to krcl.org. And that is going to be a ton of fun. Be sure to check it out at Liberty Park tomorrow night. I'm Laura Jones, and welcome back to Radioactive. Earlier this week, we spoke about recovery with our friends at Alcoholics Anonymous, also our friends at Fit to Recover, a gym where they are exercising recovery. And my next guests have their own experiences to add to the story, but more it's about what comes next as on August 20th, they are hosting the Healing Utah Success Summit. Joining us now, I have Mallory Roosh, author of Inspired to Recover. She's a motivational speaker and survivor. Hi, Mallory. Hi. Thanks for joining so glad us. Glad to be here. Also, yeah. have Al Richards, host and CEO of the Other Side of Addiction podcast. Hi, Al. Hello. How are you? Thanks for being here. And David DeRocher. 
He is executive director of The Other Side Academy, a guest on the show many times, a TEDx speaker, and uh, the, the spot I want to start first. David, let's talk about this Healing Utah Success Summit. How did it come about? Why is it necessary now? Well, you know, I think Mallory and, uh, and Al probably are the ones that could answer that question best. I'll just tell you how I got involved. They, they had reached out and said they wanted to do something like this. We wanted to do it really up here in Salt Lake originally, and then we ended up down in St. George. At least this year, I think next year, we're going to try to do it in Salt Lake. But I really think the, the, the impetus behind it all was, was Mallory and Al talking at some point. I'll let them explain it. Then they reached out to me and said, Dave, would you be willing to be one of the speakers and then help in a number of ways to help get it, uh, uh, get, the, get the, the word out that we're doing it? And really the bottom line is we want to touch as many people as we can that are suffering from addiction, that have suffered from addiction, families, everybody who's who's been touched by these, this, this problem in our, in our country for so long to just hear about what we're doing. And if we can affect a few lives and help save a few lives, we will have uh, accomplished our goal. But I'll let Mallory kind of share you how it all started, if that's okay. Sure, Mallory. Hello. Yeah. So um, how this has all come together has been so amazing because uh, Al and I actually were strangers not too long ago. I put a post on uh, Connect Utah about wanting to do something that had to do with addiction, you know, helping families reconnect, helping our state heal. Um, and I had, I was in the middle of, do, of writing my book, Inspired to Recover. And uh, someone connected me to Al and I ended up calling him and we spent about an hour and a half on the phone uh, talking about, you know, what we wanted to do to help as many people as we could. And uh, I told him about this idea of having a big summit where we had speakers and um, we could share our stories. And uh, he was like, I'm all in. And then he told Dave and then Dave said, I'm all in. And all of a sudden this team was created um, of about seven people now. So we have three major sponsors and then us three speakers and quite a few other people that are like, anything you need, we want to be a part and bam, the Healing Utah Success Summit was created. So, well, Al, talk to me a bit about, uh, your journey in this as well. A journey of forgiveness and love that led to a movement is what it says under your speaker bio. Yeah, it's kind of a crazy story. So my wife, has battled alcoholism for quite a few years. And it, it took me down a pretty, pretty dark road. You know, I started falling down that same rabbit hole that, uh, that she had dug for herself. And, um, there just came a time in my life where I wanted to do something different because everything that I had been doing wasn't working. And people told me it wasn't up to me. It was up to her, but you know, I was giving her everything that I could, you know, to, to help her. And, and it just got so dark that, uh, I actually thought about taking my own life was actually on my way home to do so until I got a phone call and, uh, saw the picture of my two daughters and three grandkids. And I just lost it, pulled off the side of the road, just sit there and cried. And anyway, things kind of changed from there. And, uh, I just kept hitting my knees. I'm a very spiritual person and kept asking God, what, what is it? Why do I keep going through this? And just kind of like what Mallory said, um, somebody mentioned my name and her and I spoke for, like she said, about an hour and a half, two hours. And it's like, God just started placing people in front of me. And, uh, next thing I knew my podcast was going, it took off. Um, We had another radio station that's here in Salt Lake resilience talk network that, said, man, I love the idea. What do I got to do to help? And I had a friend introduce me to Robin Sims, who works there with Dave DeRocher. And we've just all been hitting it off. And Mallory reached out to me one day and just said, hey, gosh, let's do it. Let's do a summit or let's do a talk or something. And like she said, it's just a year ago, not one of us knew anything about one another. And now it's like we're all family here. Mm-hmm. We just we've got the same the same motive and the same drive to to make a change. This summit is going to be something that's not only going to inspire, but it's going to educate people, families, addicts. Um, it's going to help reconnect our community and really allow our community to not only understand, you know, the darknesses of addiction, but realize that there is a lot of light. And I know like for me, you know, I, I lost 12 people in our recovery community down here uh, last year. 
And that was hard. It, down here. Is that hard. down in St. George area? Yeah. Yeah. In St. George. I just, you know, for so long, I sat and wondered like, what was the, what's the purpose of my addiction? Why, why did I go through that and make it through? And, and then all of a sudden this idea came and I realized like, this is why I went through what I did, um, was to be able to share my story. And then I've met, you know, Dave and Al and, and hearing their stories. And I'm just so excited to see how this is not only going to impact our community for so long, but hopefully, you know, in a few years, we're, we're going all over, all over the country and we're really making the movement big. Dave, you've been on the show with the Other Side Academy and uh, other ventures, and you've shared your story about life in jail under prison and how you've come out the other side. But there's a lot of folks listening right now who are maybe not even considering that they need to start their journey. What is it you want them to know about um, what they can get at the summit, but also the resources in a community like ours that's so conservative and so everything's fine, everything's good? Yeah. You know, I, I think that when we're telling everybody that everything's fine and everything's good, we're killing people because things aren't fine and things aren't good when we're using and we're committing crimes and we're destroying our our family networks. And what I really want people to understand is the Other Side Academy isn't for everybody. Happy House 30-day program isn't for everybody. The 90-day, that there's a continuum of care, that there's a, a, a not just a continuum, but there's a a lot of different options that are available, but if you keep doing the same one over and over and over again to no avail, the Other Side Academy is available, long-term, structured, for free. But if this isn't your model, this isn't what you want, that others are, but the bottom line is people can change. Recovery is possible. That if I can do it, if Mallory can do it, if Al can do it under his circumstances, you can too, whoever's listening to us at the, at the summit. We just want people to know that at some point, reach out, let us, let us, we'll, we'll throw you out an olive branch, grab a hold of that, let us pull you through. There are ways to get help and we can save lives. And this is going to be a big step towards that is having this summit so we can reach as many people as possible. So Al, hopefully the first of many in uh, different parts of the country, but definitely starting here in St. George, Utah on August 20th. Who, who is this for and uh, where can folks get tickets? This, this is for everyone. Yeah, and the reason why I say everyone is, and, and I'm sure Mal and Dave probably get the same thing. It doesn't matter where I go. When I start talking about recovery, it's almost like every person that I've spoken to, it affects them. So that's why I say everyone. Um, I've got people that I've talked to at the gym and either their spouse or their grandmother or uncle or their parents, somebody has battled some type of an addiction. Um, so that's, that's why I say it's, it's for everyone. And to get the tickets, you can go to roosherecovery.com to come and watch us speak. And I will be sure to put all that in tonight's show notes. But Al, just to, to close here with you, you know, you, you started by sharing your wife's journey and what that was doing for you. So I hope that both of you are, are doing well. Um, but it also speaks to the different journeys that folks are on in recovery. We spoke with Fit to Recover earlier this week, and I believe they're the ones that introduced me, as well as Flourish Bakery, to the phrase, the opposite of addiction isn't sobriety, it's connection. And part of the journey of recovery is reconnecting to your family, your friends, your your community. And just any advice that you have for folks listening to this about the fact that that is possible, because we're in a very cynical, very dark time as a community, as a country, and then you layer on issues of addiction and recovery, and it can feel impossible. All right. You know, um, you mentioned at the start of the show, Laura, about the forgiveness. You know, society has put a label on people who battle addiction, and I'm here to say that that label needs to be ripped off because they are some of the most spiritual and inspirational people that I have ever, ever been around in my life. And I get emotional talking about it because it is so flipping true. There is hope. Yes, you have to set boundaries for yourself, just like they have to set boundaries, you know, when they're going through recovery and things, but learn how to forgive and do your best. I mean, understand what you can, but don't try to understand everything that they're going through because us on the other side do not have a clue what they're going through until you walk in their shoes. It's kind of like I've had some people on our show say I had no clue I was doing to my family 
what I did because I wasn't in that spot. You know, so people have forgiveness, have passion. You can still be there and still love them. Let them know how much you care, but also, you know, set some boundaries so you can protect yourself. But uh, yeah, open up your arms and, and get rid of that label. Please just get rid of it. Thank you, Al Richards, host and CEO of the Other Side of Addiction podcast. Dave DeRocher from the Other Side Academy. What are your closing thoughts on the topic? You know, I, I I completely agree with Al, and I have another way I look at it. Also, I was I wasn't just a drug addict out there. I was a criminal going in and out of prison, and I am here to tell you that prison absolutely saved my life. If the police and the DA and the judge didn't hold me accountable, I probably wouldn't be here today. Uh, I would be in prison for murder or maybe in a, a six feet under because that's how bad things were getting. We always have to remember that the drug addict and the criminal, although they come together and meet one person, uh, we have to deal with the criminal first and foremost, because otherwise, could you imagine what the community would look like? So I'm very strong on accountability. I'm very strong on boundaries. And especially with people like myself, making sure that we are held accountable to the decisions that we make, because we all know the difference between right and wrong. And that's one of the things that I'm going to talk about at the summit is just how strongly I feel about that and how important it is. Now, jail and prisons aren't designed to, to solve the problem, but they are designed to incarcerate people who are committing crimes to keep the community safe. And that's always a very interesting place and an interesting topic to talk about. But uh, I just want people to know that even for someone like myself, if you find the right community and you find the right help, people can change. Thanks, Dave. We'll put a link to uh, the Other Side Academy and all of our guests' organizations in the show notes, as well as the summit coming up August 20th in Mallory, uh, Roosh Recovery. What are your closing thoughts? Uh, I just want to say I can't wait to see um, the power of this summit. You know, for me, I was facing 30 years in prison by the time I was 19 years old. Um, and for me, it was all about really being able to identify the underlying cause that was driving me to that criminal behavior that was, you know, making me want to drown, cope or run with anything I could get my hands on. And, um, I'm so thankful that not only have I been able to understand the process of healing, but I've learned how to use my pain for purpose and do something with it and, and, make sure that it, it didn't happen for nothing. Um, cause for me, I believe healing is the ultimate goal. You know, once those underlying causes are dealt with, you no longer need to escape reality or want to cause misery to other people. You know, you start being that light and, uh, that's what I saw in Al and that's what I see in Dave. And, um, I just am so thankful to be able to have this summit. So can't wait. Mallory Roosh and Dave DeRocher and Al Richards, the organizers behind the uh, Utah Healing Success Summit coming up August 20th in St. George. Check tonight's show notes for a link and consider participating. When we come back, Gavin Dahl, KRCL's new executive director. The need for food goes up in our community as donations drop during the summer months. Crossroads Urban Center's July food drive is underway and needs peanut butter, cereal, canned fruit, individual snacks, canned tomatoes, and more. For details, visit crossroadsurbancenter.org. Get out your calendars. We've got a date you've been waiting for. KRCL's annual record in CD sale will be kicking off Friday, September 9th as part of the KRCL Block Party. It's on 909. Get it? We've been collecting your donated vinyl over the past two years, and we have to say, it might be the best we've ever had. So mark your calendars, September 9th, for the KRCL record and CD sale and block party. If you're looking to get rid of your vinyl, we're still taking those tax-deductible donations of your gently used records. Email me, eric, at recordsale at krcl.org for more information. That's going to be a good party. And you know what? By 909 day, Gavin Dahl, our new executive director, will actually be here in person. I got a conversation with him, but I want to remind you that you're listening to Radioactive on KRCL. And I'm Laura Jones. You got Democracy Now! coming up at 7. Thursday Night Psych, The Dirty Boulevard, I Don't Sound Like Nobody, Illustrated Blues, and then John Florence greets a brand new day with you at 6 a.m. Here's my conversation Zoomed earlier with Gavin Dahl. So Gavin, I've been asking folks what they want to know about you, and I think Shell Yeah summed it up. What was the first song you ever played on the radio? 
Ooh, wow. Okay. So I got my first show at KVRX Austin, University of Texas student radio, none of the hits all of the time. And uh, my first show was called Afternoon Love In. And <laughs> it was back in the days of uh, the real player. Do you remember the real player? No. <laughs> real media. It was, it was, um, yeah, it was yeah, a yeah. way to tune in to streaming. Yeah. And uh, it, was, it was January of 2000. And I believe it, the show was based on a song by Prefuse 73. So that's kind of a electronic beat maker. So... I'm I'm all about the obscure things. I was gonna say you lives. are quite nerdy already in this conversation. Yes. I so prefer geeky. Geeky? I prefer geeky. All right, geeky. So what do you geek out about the most when it comes to music? Well, I I love the mix of the new and the familiar on KRCL. And one of the things that appeals to me so much about community radio is we are a passion-driven industry there's no one telling you what to play. And certainly, you know, we have strong music staff at KRCL. So if eBay comes and suggests something to me and I'm doing a show, I'm going to listen. But, but it's not that sort of, um, you know, uh, structure of, of a playlist that is dictated. It, the idea that when someone tunes into community radio, they are hearing a DJ sharing what they love or what they're exploring in, with new music um, that that's essential. And, and to me, you know, if, if we're just going to have automated playlists, why exist? Community radio is so special because the music is um, coming from the heart. And, and the, the other thing for me is I love this idea of 801 day because um, my knowledge of Utah music is not deep. Um, I, I could tell you, I, I do a top 1000 new songs of the year list every year. Um, and I have not been, I, I, I'm, I love Colorado music where I'm coming from. I'm not very knowledgeable yet about Utah music. So one of the things I want to do is, is steal the playlists from all of 801 day, because that's going to be my biggest cheat sheet to get to know the local scene. Well, and that, as you said, 801 day coming up on Monday, August 1st from, uh, when John in the morning through radioactive in the evening, nothing but local. I'm going to dig into the Radioactive Vault because, as you know, we do a live band on the show at least once a week, and we love supporting live. I'm an old live musician. Do you play at all, Gavin? You got a instrument that you can crank on? Because we're going to put the band together when you get here. I can I can help out on percussion, but no no talent. We're going to give you the I cowbell. Am, yeah, exactly. I am a beat maker, so over the years I've had um, a Boss Roland sampler and um, that did some classes in experimental. Uh, production when I was at an audio production when I was at Evergreen State College. I got my degree from Evergreen in Washington State, home of Chaos Radio, another one of my favorite stops on my radio path. You also did a stint as a music columnist for the Austin American Statesman. So music is part of your DNA, it sounds like. Deep research, as usual, Lara. Good job. Um, yeah, so as, as a high school student, uh, I, was, I, I was very lucky to move from uh, Snohomish, Washington, which at the time had uh, no venues, <laughs> now has like breweries galore, but, um, and, and both Sir Mix-a-Lot and Grizz played in Snohomish, Washington this summer. So things have changed. But at the time in the 90s, moved to Austin, Texas, and what an amazing opportunity for me as a music head to, you know, be a teenager and come of age and grow up too fast in Austin. And the Austin American Statesman uh, music editor at the time launched a teen music column, The Bomb, Schooling Ya on hip hop, R&B and dance music. And I submitted an application, uh, they got me in, I got all access passes to South by Southwest as a 16 year old. I mean, really it's not fair that I got to have that opportunity. And at that age, already reached one of my peak audiences. I mean, I think we had 50,000 readers in the paper on Saturdays when the column ran. So I got to, I got to hang out with the Crystal Method and. Uh, a band you've never heard of called Brand Van 3000, who had a big hit in the 90s. And, you know, just sort of get the flavor of the Austin music scene before it was all kind of blown up and sort of ruined, in my opinion. But <laughs> um, <laughs> Very but Cameron Crowe of you, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah I just, I got, I got in early as a music journalist and got the bug and, and really never stopped. Um, but, but for me, I also think of the opportunity to, 
turn someone on to a new thing they hadn't they didn't know as you know that that crosses over from from music journalism into radio and um is a big part of why krcl has such a big following amongst my peers nationally i mean i don't i don't know if the average krcl listener recognizes the the reputation the station has on a bigger stage i mean when i was first contacted by the hiring team for this opportunity i thought oh wow well i i'm never going to be you know, qualified for this job. That's such a big, important station. Um, and thankfully, I didn't say no that first day because lo and behold, here we are, you know, several months later and I get to come and work with all of you. I mean, it's a dream come true. Well, you're moving from Colorado to Utah to the beehive state, the state of industry, the state bird is the seagull. We have a state gun. We have lots of cool stuff for waiting for you to check out from Gilgal Gardens to Red Iguana to Temple Square. So what is it you're looking forward to about joining the ranks here at KRCL and uh, becoming a Utahn? Well, I, I really think that it's a huge opportunity for my family. Um, my daughter is three and my wife and I um, were very fortunate to um, begin raising her in the uh, Roaring Fork Valley, which is kind of Aspen. Uh, we lived in Carbondale. She was born in Aspen. And uh, um, she hasn't made it onto the ski slopes yet, but I, I don't feel like we're going to be missing out on that opportunity in Utah. Um, but yeah, I really think for a kid, um, being in Western Colorado, there are amazing things here. You know, we have a great library and a rec center where I live now in Montrose, Colorado. But Salt Lake City just has so much to offer. I think between you know the the op- opportunities for preschool, um, and, you know, meeting, meeting other kids and just having more kid time and things like the aquarium and, you know, all the other opportunities for food and cultural um, exposure. I just feel like it's, it's a big chance for our family to sort of level up with um, what we have access to. I mean, I grew up in Seattle. Teriyaki is fast food in my childhood, but there isn't any in Western Colorado. So like, as soon as we were driving in to go visit KRCL, I saw a teriyaki place on the side of the highway. And I was like, Can we just live in this neighborhood. Like, I don't care. I just want to eat the food that I like. And, and I, so I'm, I'm a big, I'm big, uh, big eater, a large, a large person, a, a double extra large person, in fact. <laughs> and so I, uh, I'm really excited about the, the cuisine. I mean, the farmer's market is, is, was really thrilling to us when we came to visit just to see, you know, how much opportunity there is to support local growers. And, uh, and then, like I said, I mean, KRCL's reputation is, is bigger than I think a lot of locals know. It's also really meaningful to me that the station has a very positive working relationship with NPR Utah and that the idea that, you know, in public media, um, we are all sort of in this together as non-commercial, trustworthy sources. Um, and so that, that's another thing, too, is that I feel like the, um, the folks I've met from KUER all tell me that, that KRCL is their other station, you know, and, and I, I feel like that's a really special thing too, that um, we, I get to be part of this ecosystem where there are, um, you know, amazing journalists really trying to keep people informed and um, KRCL is not strictly a music station. Thanks to the work of yourself and your team. Um, you know, I really am excited to see uh, what, what other sorts of impacts KRCL can have beyond the music scene um, and, and continue to have, I should say, um, because that's, that's the other thing at the end of the day, like there's a lot of news fatigue in radio right now. I, at the conference in Chicago last week that I went to with our membership director, Morgan, uh, the PMDMC, the Public Media Development and Marketing Conference, uh, a speaker on one of the panels said, there's no such thing as music fatigue. And so I think, you know, how do we combat the, the news fatigue in terms of our impact, our, our social activation, our community engagement. Um, I think that's going to be a really big, uh, exciting challenge to figure out is, is what is, what is KRCL's evolving role as a cultural institution and an arts organization. Um, and in addition to, you know, a place to discover music. Well, I want to roll some tape that you sent me because coming up tomorrow night at Liberty Park in partnership with our friends at the Utah Film Center and our Music Meets Movies series, we're doing a free screening of Summer of Soul, the award-winning documentary by Quest Love of The Roots. And you had an opportunity to interview someone. Set up this clip for us. Who are, we, who are we about to hear you talk to, Gavin? So I spent the last two years hosting Morning Edition every day for the station in, in Western Colorado, KVNF. And one of my favorite voices on NPR Morning Edition is Eric Deggins. He's a critic, primarily TV critic, also does you know film and other cultural stuff. 
And uh, I think an important voice in the mix in public radio. And when I found out that Summer of Soul was going to be screening in our community in Colorado um, last fall, I reached out to NPR and I just said, hey, is there any chance I can get Eric on? Because I would love to get, you know, sort of the national um, critical stamp on this film. And I think it's one of the best music films I've ever seen. Um, Just completely fascinating to me that so few people know this history. And I love that Questlove was attached to the project because it helps gain a lot more eyeballs, you know. And so uh, um, just a fun chance to, to hear from Eric a little bit about why um, he thinks this film has such significance. Here we go. The new documentary Summer of Soul or When the Revolution Could Not Be Televised, the exciting new film documents six weeks from the summer of 1969, where 100 miles away from Woodstock, the Harlem Cultural Festival featured artists like Stevie Wonder, Nina Simone, Gladys Knight and the Pips, and Sly and the Family Stone. Director Amir Thompson, better known as Questlove, drummer from The Roots and The Tonight Show, presents archival footage largely forgotten until now, and the results are incredible. NPR's TV critic Eric Deggins joins me next to discuss the film. Thanks for speaking with KVNF. Yeah, happy to be here. You reviewed Summer of Soul for NPR over the summer and called it a breathtaking chronicle of black culture in a pivotal moment. Talk about the scale of these concerts. Yeah, that's one of the things that was kind of amazing. Over several weeks on successive Sundays, um, they held these concerts in Harlem and drew thousands of people. They were free concerts, and they featured some of the top acts of the day for Black Americans, and it spanned a huge range of music. It went from gospel to blues to R&B to rock and roll with Sly and Family Stone. That year was a pivotal time for Black America politically, musically, socially. There were so many things that were uh, changing and morphing and becoming something else, something new, something bold, something different. What's amazing about this film is that it captures all of that, everything from Black folks being skeptical about all the money being spent to go to the moon. You know, like Neil Armstrong walked on the moon during one of these concerts and the Black folks in the audience were like, we don't care about that. Why aren't they spending this money in the hood where we need it? Everything from that to uh, gospel artists uh, being very honest about how having pop music hits uh, led to them being ostracized inside the faith community because they were so suspicious of commercial success. A lot of really interesting stuff in in one film, and you can watch it multiple times, and you always get something new out of it when you watch it. In press materials for the film, Questlove explained part of his mission was to correct the record that this footage going unseen amounts to black erasure. How rare is this footage? Questlove quite rightly says, by people not remembering how groundbreaking this festival was, there was a lot of pivotal moments in Black music and Black culture that kind of got swept under the rug. And people were so focused on Woodstock and how, you know, rock and roll and white pop culture was being redefined by that moment that they missed how Black pop culture was being redefined by what happened at the Harlem Cultural Festival. Now, apparently the person who controlled the rights to this footage He did get it aired on television shortly after the festival happened, and it's popped up in documentaries. The nation's media was trained on other things while this was happening. Eric Deggins, NPR television critic, talking with now KRCL's Gavin Dahl. Gavin, great interview, and I'm expecting you're going to do some airtime. You may even fill in on Radioactive, but when are you going to be here for folks to meet you? Because you're on the job now remotely, but you're going to be here by 909 day? Yes, ma'am. I will be there soon, just a few weeks, finishing up some logistics. And uh, I'm really looking forward to the 909 day. I love record and CD sales. I love um, hunting in pawn shops and thrift stores and record stores, of course. That's another big thing I'm excited about with Salt Lake City is actual record stores. There's only one in all of Western Colorado in Grand Junction. It's amazing. Triple play records. But uh, they do as much business in disc golf as they do in in music. So I'm thrilled to be back in civilization. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Gavin, it's fun talking to you. We'll have to do it more, especially when you're here at the station, which is soon. Uh, If folks want to get in touch with you, are you open to members and listeners emailing you or something? Oh, please do. Gavin D, as in dang. Gavin D at krcl.org. And uh, I'll see many of you soon. 
All right, folks, take him at his word and help plug Gavin into our community. Why don't you email him your favorite nonprofits, your favorite grassroots activists, your favorite food stops, your favorite live music venues, your favorite local bands, your favorite hikes. You get where I'm going with this? Please send those to him, Gavin D at krcl.org and help us welcome to town. I'm Laura Jones, and that is Radioactive. My thanks to all of my guests this hour. You can check out all these organizations, all these events coming up by going to the show notes for tonight's show at krcl.org. Questions, comments, suggestions, send me an email, radioactive at krcl.org, and uh, shine a light on something good in the community, why don't you? Coming up next, Democracy Now! Thanks for listening, and have a great night, everybody. KRCL, Salt Lake City. The ADA 32nd Anniversary Celebration is a commemoration of the Americans with Disabilities Act. Hosted annually by the Disabled Rights Action Committee, enjoy live music, speakers, performers, food trucks, and vendors from across the state Saturday, July 30th, 11 to 4 at the Salt Lake City Public Library.